Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, time to turn acquisition carrots into sticks. One of the things that I believe the federal government has really got to do is look to a best practice and then not make that best practice optional. If we really have something that's a best practice, why would we not all want to be doing that? A financial management victory at Homeland Security. This is something that we've been working on since the department was stood up and it's a complex process, especially in a department the size of ours. So very happy for the department. And the keys to data transparency at the EPA. One of the biggest drivers of, of the new data thinking that we're doing is thinking about one, how do we have an infrastructure that supports data transparency? How do we have infrastructure that supports data sharing? It's Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Army's expanding its component of the military's Joint All-Domain Command and Control. The Deputy Commanding General of Army Futures Command, Lieutenant General James Richardson, says 5,000 soldiers and civilians will participate in Project Convergence this year. Richardson says the biggest test event for the project is next month. The Air Force has a new dedicated cyber squadron. The 55th Communication Squadron is now the 55th Cyber Squadron. The squadron's commander, Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Wong, says the 55th has put more people through qualification training than any other squadron in the service. The former leader of the Defense Department's Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Office is suing the Defense Department and the National Security Agency. John Hewitt-Jones is covering the story for FedScoop. John, welcome. What do we know about why Katie Arrington is suing the department and the NSA? Welcome. Hey, Francis. Yeah, so sort of yesterday in court documents um, submitted by Arrington's lawyers, she uh, basically argued that um, she'd been unfairly treated by the DOD and by NSA because of her, firstly, her close relationship with former President Donald Trump, um, and also because she spearheaded you know, DOD cybersecurity cyber programs, the CMC, which you mentioned, and according to her lawyers, um, uh, the NSA did, did not did not agree with uh, the cybersecurity programs that she spearheaded. So, um, yeah, in 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 submissions to, to to the court filed yesterday, that's that's what her lawyers argue. Um, uh, the DOD and NSA um, have declined to comment, uh, you know, citing. Um, uh, continued legal action. You write in this piece, Arrington was suspended from her role as Chief Information Security Officer for Acquisition and Sustainment at the start of May after her security clearance for access to classified information was suspended. What's the outcome that she and her attorneys are looking for here, John? Well, the, it's um, it, it's actually still remains fa- fairly unclear, Francis. I think uh, for her legal team and and also for for um, uh, people in the community following following this episode, um, one of the things that stood out in the legal filing yesterday is that um, uh, her lawyers say they've been unable to obtain further information from the National Security Agency about the the reason for um, her security clearance being being suspended in the first place. Um, so I think from from her team's standpoint, they they want clarity over over why, uh, firstly, why her um, uh, security clearance was uh, was suspended, and and also why she was you know why she was suspended from from the post back in May. John Hewitt Jones writing about this story on FedScoop.com. Thanks very much. Cheers, Jeff. You can read more about that case and more on these headlines and many others at FedScoop.com. 
The Daily Scoop podcast is sponsored today by Zoom for Government, designed with relevant certifications and ATOs for the federal hybrid workforce. Zoom for Government offers rich and high-reliability audio and video to work through complex issues and build rapport across government with mission partners and engaging the public. Learn more at karasoff.com slash Zoom. The Biden administration has a new president's management agenda in the works. One component of that PMA should be acquisition. Greg Giddens is partner at Potomac Ridge Consulting. He's former principal executive director of the Office of Acquisition, Logistics, and Construction at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Greg, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Why is it your view that acquisition should be a really important part of the PMA? Welcome. Well, thanks, Francis. Nice to be with you as always. Well, I, the biggest reason, uh, Francis, is just look at the facts of the dollars. Uh, the government spends over $600 billion in contracts each year. You know, if we don't look at that as a strategic enabler of getting the business of government done, I think we're really missing it. And I think it's a great opportunity for the new president's management agenda to take that and leverage that spin in the best way possible. The PMA, that's a lot of money. Even in this town, that's a lot of money. Yeah, there's no kidding about that. Um, the PMAs that the last couple administrations have released have approached it from different directions. How would you like to see this administration approach acquisition in the PMA, either elements that you've seen before that are good or approach it completely differently, Greg? Well, I think they've certainly touched on some of the key elements in the past, but I think the, one of the elements that might have been missing is really a linkage with the budget side. You know, from an agency perspective, you get a lot of input uh, from the White House and the executive office of the president, uh, and you look at all that input and try to balance it all out. You pay attention more when it's linked to a budget. And I think some of the acquisition reforms and some of the acquisition initiatives that could be in the president's management agenda should be linked over to the budget side and have some budget implications for how those are adopted throughout the agencies. A lot of administrations also in the time that I've been watching this stuff, not as long as you have, but uh, 10, 15 years, something like that, have tried different initiatives, not necessarily tied to the PMA, to do what you're suggesting too. Um, strategic sourcing, shared services, there are a number of them. Uh, I recall one effort that Tony Scott and Ann Rung uh, attempted at uh, OMB when they were there in the Obama administration to establish parameters for uh, commodity hardware, computing hardware, and so on. Why did those efforts never seem to take off? Are those be Is it because it was never part of something as formal as the PMA, or was it just kind of indifference on the part of the agencies at the acquisition level or the IT level or someplace else? Or what would codify it, I guess? What would harden it this time around, Greg? So I think some of the uh, elements, and I remember when Tony and Ann were working that, and, and you'll even see some of that still today. I mean, there's agencies that have taken that and, and started to harmonize their hardware procurements, category sor uh, sourcing, uh, and strategic sourcing has, has taken a little bit of root but I think the overall is it's it's all really voluntary. And one of the things that I believe the federal government has really got to do is look to a best practice and then not make that best practice optional. I mean, if we really have something that's a best practice, why would we not all want to be doing that? And you can do that and, and have a ramp for somebody to say, I've got an initiative I want to try. I want to pilot this. That's a little different. But right now, it's really just here's some general guidance. And if you want to do this, this is great. I, I think we got to be a little more... Uh, impactful and demanding about adoption of best practices. Part of the reason that hasn't happened, I, I, my observation is, Greg, 
is that the vendors fuss about it too much. Uh, absolutely, because to a degree, you know, the more the government is kind of disjointed in how they do business, uh, industry can leverage that a little bit to their bottom line. Uh, although, frankly, since I left, I've had businesses come to me and say, hey, if the government would do this, this would be smarter. And yeah, maybe, you know, our profits might not be as great, but we'd still do OK, but it'd be better off for the mission. And I think a lot of companies balance that desire to make a return for their shareholders, whether they're public or private, and their desire and love uh, for the mission. All right. I'm going to turn the keys over to you. You're actually writing the piece of acquisition in the PMA this time around. Where do you start and how does that manifest itself, Greg? I would start addressing three different areas. Uh, I'd break it down into people, process, and technology. Uh, on the people aspect, there's certainly been some discussion about the workforce. Uh, I would shift us to a competency-based assessment for the procurement workforce. DOD is moving in that direction. NCMA has some uh, certified competency assessment tools. Uh, I would use that so we could understand where the workforce is and what kind of training uh, and education and competency development is needed. Uh, on the process side, I really focus initially on requirements. Now, if you don't get the requirement right, the procurement is not going to be right. And too many times we rush through the requirements process and then we get down and we start to to beat on the procurement people to hurry up, to hurry up, when we really don't have a requirement that industry that can understand. And linked to that is a lot of engagement with the industry up front and early. You know, Francis, if you and I were going out to a restaurant and we sat down and they said, well, hey, you know, here's a menu, what would you like? And we say, well, we want a protein and a carb. And that's all we give them. You know, I'm not too sure what we're going to like, what we get back. And sometimes I think that's how the government does it. We don't even want to show the menu. We don't want to really talk about what we really want. We want to talk about it in some buzzwords and kind of ethereal and a little bit of Ouija boarding. Now, I think we've got to be really clear about what the requirement is. Uh, also, I would take the use of uh, the simplified acquisition process. There's ways to speed up delivery of contract award once that requirement gets put in place and too many times we want to treat every procurement whether it's three million dollars like it's a 300 million dollar requirement and last for technology uh, i'd write in that we've got to leverage things like ai and machine learning so that we can take a lot of the transactional burden uh, off the backs of the procurement workforce and allow them to really move up uh, the chain in terms of applying their skills to the more complicated issues are the technologies like uh, AI and machine learning ready for that, or are we still thinking about those in the in the conceptual They're ready. area? I mean, there's lots of work. Uh, the IRS uh, has used that. Uh, many times they've used bots to do closeouts. They've used bots to do determination and responsibility uh, work. The VA uh, is exploring that as well. So many industries, uh, and procurement in particular across the agencies, are doing that. that. That's ready and available now to help support procurement. I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, Greg, that uh, the uh, Office of Management and Budget is working on a PMA. What will you look at first when it comes out? I'd first look at how well does it hold together in terms of what overall is administration trying to do. Uh, and it's difficult to take something as, as big as a president's management agenda and, and make it read and be a coherent document because if it gets segregated and parsed off, it really starts to lose effectiveness. So I'd first really look, is this really integrated and hanging together and paints a clear picture of where we're trying to go? Greg Giddens, it's always great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Francis. Thank you.
You can read more on the president's management agenda in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Coming on today's Daily Scoop podcast, the data revolution at the Environmental Protection Agency. Catherine Dawes of EPA tells you what they're working toward. You can follow the lineup for the Daily Scoop podcast every day. You get a sneak peek on Twitter when you follow the show at Daily Scoop Pod. The Department of Homeland Security is one step closer to a consolidation of its financial management systems. Three companies have made it onto a blanket purchase agreement that was four years in the making. Soraya Correa is former chief procurement officer at the Department of Homeland Security. Soraya, welcome. It's great to talk to you. This has to be a good news story for DHS to move to this next phase. This is not just a financial management systems consolidation, I imagine. It's important to the backbone of the department, right? That is correct. Thank you so much for having me here. I am excited. When I read the news that they made the awards, I can't tell you how excited I was because this is something that we've been working on since the department was stood up. And it's a complex process, especially in a department the size of ours. Um, And it's a process that many agencies have had difficulty with. So very happy for the department. Woohoo! What went into getting to this point, given that, as you said, it's something that the uh, the components and headquarters have been working on since 2003? Yeah, it does take quite a bit of work. First of all, you're working with a department that's highly complex because all the different components come in with their own systems, their own business processes. And so you got to start to to bring the team together to agree what's on common ground, what our requirements are going to be where do we need systems versus where do we need elements of systems if you will and it's about coming together unifying on business processes approach requirements and then pulling together a solicitation and that does mean all of us working together strong collaboration between the it organization our cio the cfo the chief financial officer of course the chief procurement officer and can't forget our PARM organization, our program analysis and risk management team. So you've had a number of different colleagues, though, in some of those spots that you're talking about. CFO did not change much over the time that you were there, but changed a couple of times. CIO changed a number of times that I can think of. What's that look like managing through that when the people that are important to getting this done change out over time? That's a great question. So first of all, it takes those of us, the, the folks in the ranks who have been there all along, bringing the new folks up to speed, helping them understand what went on before them, what's been tried, what's been done, where the issues have been, what the challenges are, helping bring them up to speed. It's also important to keep the oversight organizations involved, briefing them on a very regular basis. That was was something that the CIO, the CFO, and myself, we were doing constantly with the Undersecretary for Management and the Deputy Undersecretary for Management going to the Hill, briefing our overseers, uh, briefing the GAOs and the IGs on what we were doing, how we were doing it, and why we were doing it the way we were, and what what were some of the obstacles, what were some of the challenges that we were confronting. You used a phrase a moment ago that I want to ask you about, uh, looking at systems versus elements of systems. What's the difference, and what, what does that mean, and why is that important to this result? So, so different organizations take different approaches to how they implement financial systems, right? Some organizations will marry systems together. They'll take elements of different financial systems and bring them together. That's a little bit more complex, requires a lot more IT engineering and involvement. Some organizations will buy a fully integrated solution, which is what the department went for, what we call the fully integrated solution that consisted of not only financial but it included procurement and asset management. 
And we wanted a fully integrated solution. So it's about varying complexities and how you look at that and what is it that, where do your needs lie and what, what, what level of complexity you're willing to take on working with your IT organizations. At, in a procurement like this, Soraya, how much does each office need to know about what the other office does? How much does the CIO's office need to know about the procurement process? How much does your team need to know about the financial management specific financial management needs of the CFO's office and the components and so on. So I wouldn't say, you know, we don't, we don't have to be expert in each other's processes, but we have to understand. We have to understand what's needed. We have to understand why it's important, how it plays into the process. And then they, we also need to understand how, what our role is in that process. So for example, uh, finance and procurement interact on a regular basis. So it's extremely important for the procurement organization to not only know what finance is trying to do, but how it's trying to do it and why it's important to them, how it impacts their audits, how it impacts their work with the components, and then also understanding and being able to translate for IT how the two organizations work together because there's a huge intersection there. So it's extremely important that it's constant communications. And I can tell you, we were holding weekly meetings to chat about this procurement and how we were going forward. So either in the case of this specific procurement or procurements in general, how far down does that need to go? You've already talked about the collaboration at the CXO level in your agency, but those meetings, for example, how far down do they need to go in order for something like this to go well? So the good news is that when the top leadership gets together, that means the teams below them are getting together. And it does go down to the lowest levels, especially on something this complex. Regular, constant communications sharing of ideas, information, hashing out argue, uh, excuse me, issues, making sure that we all have a common understanding of what we're trying to achieve is extremely important in any major program, but especially in one like this, where it is uh, a complicated program, it is uh, a challenging program, and more importantly, it's a program that gets a lot of attention because it's financial management, right? Obviously, when you celebrated this as a win, you did not celebrate it just as woohoo, we got this procurement done. What's the benefit to HQ and what's the benefit to the components when this is executed? So the benefits are that the components now have a vehicle that they can go to to acquire a financial management solution, a fully integrated financial management solution. For headquarters, it is a win in that headquarters is one of those elements that does need a new financial management system, but it also enables them to promote more consistency, more consistency in business processes and how we accomplish our work. And by the way, it's always a win when you talk about audits because a better system, a newer system, a better system is more secure. We can implement it uh, more consistently across the board and apply our standards, cybersecurity as well as financial procurement and asset management standards more holistically at the department level. Will the headquarters get more consistent and more standardized data about what's going on financially at each of the components as a result of this too, Soraya? Certainly. And I don't want to pretend that the financial management system is the be all end all. We've been working towards more consistency, doing it through manual processes, right? Through work at manual processes were appropriate, right? Working with the components. The partnership with the components has been phenomenal. I can't I can't praise the department enough on how it's done. It always looks, you know, the news never reports all the good stuff that goes on, but the teamwork, the collaboration, the cooperation, the focus on the various issues. You can't get clean audit opinions if you don't do these things right. And that's what it really takes. It's excellent insight into uh, something that not a lot of people know about at DHS, Soraya. Thanks very much for talking to me about it today. 
Certainly. Thank you. You can read more about DHS's financial management system in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Cyber Week launches next Monday. CyberScoop has a ton of events lined up for the Cyber Festival, both virtually and in person. Lots of top leaders from tech, education, and government will be there. You can see the calendar and register now at cyberweek.us. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Coming on Thursday's program, Nick Shayon, the former chief software officer at the Air Force, has created quite a controversy about his comments about the department and why he left. He will tell you what he really means on tomorrow's Daily Scoop podcast. That show debuts Thursday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever else you get your shows. The Environmental Protection Agency is upgrading its infrastructure to support data transparency. It's part of the broader data sharing environment EPA will create for its own people and for the agency's partners and citizens at large. Catherine Dawes is the acting evaluation officer at EPA. On the newest episode of the Building Data-Driven Government series, she told me how the agency is leveraging the data it collects from across its enterprise. Well, as you know, EPA has a lot of data. Um, and using data is something that we're quite used to, although the Evidence Act is calling on us to use it in, in different ways to expand our use of data. So really, uh, when we think about the Evidence Act and using data, it's an expansion of how we use it. It's to think about uh, using it for the ongoing and continuous improvement of programs, which is something that we've invested in uh, pretty strategically for a number of years now, and it's really being helped and advanced by the Evidence Act. You get data in from everywhere. You have sensors, different places, and you're collecting data from different partners. How mm -hmm. is the growth of that and the distributed nature of the digital workloads that we've seen from the pandemic uh, reshaping the way that the EPA is thinking about investing in, in uh, infrastructure? Right. Um, well, I think one of the biggest drivers of, of the new data thinking that we're doing is thinking about one, how do we have an infrastructure that supports data transparency? How do we have infrastructure that supports data sharing? One of the major tenets of the Evidence Act is that we share data with partners uh, carefully and strategically you know, uh, to ensure certainly privacy and security, um, but also for the purposes of of conducting research and program evaluation. Um, as evaluation officer, I have a particular investment in the program evaluation aspects of it and thinking about how we uh, use data that is open and available and making it available to um, partners for, for, for that purpose. Um, the other big piece is to um, think about how we are using data uh, to advance major uh, uh, public, you know, in the interests of the public, let me put it that way. So community science is becoming a major tenant um, within, the, within the data um, collection uh, framework. Um, lots to be worked out there, but communities are really, really active in collecting data, but we have to think strategically about how we use it, um, uh, at, the, at the federal level to make certain kinds of decisions, um, but also how do we support communities in, in engaging in that? Um, so, you know, particularly as we think about um, equity and environmental justice, there are components there that are really important for community data. 
um, uh, and uh, community science, community data. Uh, and so we want to you know, position uh, the agency to advance that work uh, as, part of our, as part of our goals with data. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is happening at the edge. A lot of those communities are collecting data and, and then uh, using EPA data at the yeah. edge. What impact does that have on the way that you do that strategy that you alluded to a moment ago? Mm-hmm. And, and also, how do you secure the data that's coming and going? Yeah, so I am not the person who is deeply involved in security or, um, or you know, from that angle. Uh, but I can say that it is, you know, security essential to the discussions that are being had, uh, particularly our chief data officer, um, Dr. Richard Allen, is, is very much uh, very attuned to these issues and engaged in them and helping to lead the agency forward. Um, my role is really thinking about, well, how do we use these uh, this data to uh, solve priority problems or to address, because solutions aren't always evident, but to address uh, priority um, issues and priority problems. So um, the discussion is um, really key around how we um, advance uh, particularly environmental justice and, and equity issues. You see that in our draft strategic plan, if you take a look at that, um, how are we addressing that? And so when we think about uh, developing a strategy around that is around uh, responding to, to these things, as well as enabling ourselves to meet our core mission of, of having data relation, related to clean air, clean water, um, responding to emergencies and cleanups. So, you know, we, we have all of that together as well, and, you know, uh, handling, safely handling uh, chemicals. So we have all that as part of our strategic plan. And so I would look to our strategic plan, which just came out on Friday, our draft strategic plan, to see how we're making those connections. Um, and data undergirds all of that. If we, if we don't have high quality data, we can't make good in our strategic plan. You've alluded to serving citizens earlier in our conversation, and and that's where I want to finish up. Um, What is on the docket for EPA regarding driving new citizen services, but especially uh, supporting the remote workforce that I imagine will continue moving forward? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just a remote workforce, right? It's also um, working with our co-regulators in this vein um, uh, and, and supporting a number of different strategies. Um, again, this is my my angle on this is about how do we use this data once it comes in. But in terms of developing strategies around data, um, uh, supporting uh, the federal workforce, supporting EPA is essential uh, to how we're supposed to do our work. I mean, um, and thinking about things like um, uh, AI. Uh, that's you'll, you'll see, you know, emerging strategies around there. There's a lot of uh, dialogue between us and our co-regulators about uh, AI, about um, remote monitoring. You know, that's a that's a key part, particularly if, as we continue to work through um, a, a pandemic. But even once that pandemic has receded, um, once we're looking at that in the rearview mirror, the, the strategies and the tools that we've developed as part of a, a all remote workforce um, are still going to be there.
There's more on EPA's data-driven efforts in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the program on your platform of choice, thank you for doing that. When you give us high ratings and good reviews, more people will find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The former Chief Software Officer of the Air Force, Nick Shayon, on the Thursday Daily Scoop podcast. Until then, I'm the host, Francis Rose. Thank you for listening.